This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. This episode is in a word, divine. As I have a conversation with Rabbi Axe, who among being an incredible uh, spiritual leader is also my wonderful aunt. Uh, She shares her perspective on religion, gratitude, success, and being a deep thinker in her search for truth and community as we talk about everything from life and death. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure you will too. Thanks. My guest today is Rabbi Vicki L. Axe, who served congregations in New York, Connecticut, and Ohio for over 20 years before becoming the founding spiritual leader of Congregation Shirami in 2003. She is now Rabbi Emerita. She received her Bachelor of Music Education from Temple University and her Master's in Education from The Ohio State University. She has held teaching positions in Ohio, Massachusetts, Israel, and New York. Rabbi Axe received her degree in sacred music and investiture as cantor from the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion School of Sacred Music, where she is a member of the advisory council and has served on their faculty. In 2008, Rabbi Axe was awarded a doctor of music from Hebrew Union College and rabbinic ordination from the Rabbinical Academy of America and received her doctor of ministry in pastoral care and counseling in 2016. Rabbi Axe has performed extensively in Israel, Canada, and major cities throughout the United States. She was a guest soloist with the Connecticut Chamber Orchestra, was soprano soloist with Dave Brubeck, and has performed with Marvin Hamlish and the Columbus Symphony Orchestra. As a performing artist, Rabbi Axe feels as comfortable on the concert stage as she does with an audience of preschoolers or seniors. Her repertoire is richly Jewish, and it has been said that her glorious voice and charisma invite an awakening of the Jewish heart and the human spirit. The recipient of many awards of her fine scholarship and talent, Rabbi Axe served for many years on the National Commission of Synagogue Music, as well as the National Commission of Religious Living, the Executive Committee of the Union for Reform Judaism. She was an officer of the Greenwich Fellowship of Clergy and is a past president of both the American Conference of Cantors and the School of Sacred Music Cantorial Alumni Association. And more important than any of those, she is my wonderful aunt. Please welcome Rabbi Axe. Jeffrey, it's good to be here. Uh, I always like to start at the beginning. So where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? So I was born in Newton, Massachusetts, and uh, my dad was a salesman, salesperson. And my mom was, um, until I was in fifth grade, she was a homemaker. And then she went back to work and was an office manager for the rest of her life. So when you were born, uh, did you have any sense of like, as a kid, you know, people say astronaut, did you have any thoughts of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I definitely wanted to be a teacher. I used to, as a little girl in elementary school, I would play school in my room all by myself and I would name my students and I would set up a board with all the lessons and I I loved playing school. 
And so as thinking about wanting to be a teacher, was that because you, did you have any role models that you looked up to either as teachers or other people that kind of influenced that? I would say my parents were definitely role models and they were teachers in my life in everything they did and the way they raised me. Um, and then many teachers stand out, but in particular was uh, the choral conductor in college, Robert Page. And I, as, as I think about all the people who really um, influenced my life in, in, a, in a meaningful way, the bottom line, the, the common thread is um, a standard of excellence. Speaking of standard of excellence, did, were there any excellent storytellers when you were growing up and what do you think made them good? When, when you say that, the person that pops into my head immediately is my dad. He was a great storyteller. And he would tell stories about things that happened at work, a, a sale that he made, or uh, teaching us about something in life or a book that he read, whatever he told, he, his eyes would just light up and, and he would say every word as though he was tasting it. You could just watch him tasting every word. He was a wonderful storyteller. So following your trajectory, when was your first paying job? What was it? When I was 14, I worked in my mother's office as a file clerk. That was my first paying job. Did you like it? I liked getting up every day and I liked being with my mom and um, being responsible and interacting with the other people and um, seeing in that as well as in everything, people, you know, noticing who, which people were effective in their work and which people weren't effective in their work and, and um, just being with the people. Yeah. Yeah. The work no, itself, no. not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, now music and singing has been an important part of your career. Uh, when, when did music become an important part of your life? How young did you, were you singing when you were a little toddler? When, when did that become really a part of who you are? I would say music was part of my life since before I was born. Both of my parents um, were musicians. My mother played the piano and she sang. And my father, a little known fact was that he was a trumpet player and he played in um, dance bands at bar mitzvahs and weddings. And um, he gigged all through high school and college. And, um, and my mother, I realize now when I'm singing to my grandchildren, that she must have sung to me all the standards of the 30s and the 40s from before I knew how to talk because I know every word to every song and sing them. Favorite? Hmm? Favorite? favorite? No, no, no. But they pop into my head and I know every word. And you know, they say when you're aging um, that if you can sing all the words to songs from when you were young, that's a good way to keep your mind going. Did you ever think about becoming just a singer? My goal um, was to be a high school choral conductor um, that in, 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 from high school. And that's what I went to college for um, in studying music education. My goal was to be a high school choral conductor, not a singer. Although singing was always a very important part of my life, singing in choirs. And how did the idea of going from music to clergy to, you know, the Jewish piece of 
of musical? So in growing up in a reform congregation um, from the 50s and 60s, there wasn't always a model of a, of a cantor. Um, so I, I had the, the, it was led more by um, the rabbi and maybe choir. So I was one of those rare people who loved going to Sunday school. And in seventh grade, I came home one Sunday and, um, and said to my parents, seventh grade, I think I want to be a rabbi. And they both immediately without a breath said, don't be ridiculous, girls don't do that. There are no women rabbis. And I tucked it away for all those years. I went through college as a, you know, in music education, I taught music for a number of years. And then um, when I was married during, um, back in 1976, I heard a, a broadcast on, on television, on the news, telling um, about the ordination of rabbis and cantors from Hebrew Union College. And they were making a special note of how many women were ordained that, that year. And I went, oh my God, that's what I am. And that's who I am. Um, Harold, my husband and I had lived in Israel for two years. So I had Hebrew and we lived a practicing Jewish life. And, and, and it, just, it just made perfect sense. I was, um, I, I sort of tucked it away for a couple of years. I took some music education classes that were offered. We were living in Manhattan um, and it just all came together perfectly. And I was not eight months pregnant, went to he into August with my first son, went to Hebrew Union College to, um, to meet with the person that you meet with first to make your application, to have a, a first conversation about it. And, um, and I said, I'm ready to start right now. I was eight months pregnant. I'll give birth, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll come to school. We were living in Manhattan, so it made it, you know, easy, practical. He said, slow down, take a year, apply. I did. And I, um, uh, my oldest was a year old when I began school. And then I had an, my second son between my second and third years in, uh, in, in Cantoral school. And uh, my third son was born after my, after a year after I graduated and my fourth son three years later. So how did I manage all that? Um, I was I was very blessed with a husband who, who, um, when I told him that I was going to apply to Cantorial School, he cried, um, and at the time he thought it was tears of joy. And then when he saw all that it meant to be supportive, he said, "You know, there's those tears were mixed, but <laughs> but basically." Um, um, he made it, he really made it possible um, and, and, and was, I like to say the wind beneath my wings as I listen to that song, I think of him. Uh, so you talked about being in Israel and, and you've, you've uh, performed lots of different places. What's the most surprising place you found yourself, whether it's a, a physical place or in conversation with someone, you know, you've had a very interesting dynamic life. What kind of stands out for you? Um, there are probably lots of things I could name, but the one powerful, powerful moment was backstage after singing in a performance of Carmina Burana at the Ambler Music Festival, which is now no longer in existence. Um, 
I was in the soprano section of the choir and Harold was singing in the A section. And it was performed by the Pennsylvania Ballet. And for those in your audience who know Carmina Burana, it's a very, um, um, I can never think of the word. It's, it's, it's very erotic and the ballet is very beautiful. And so backstage, immediately after the performance, Harold proposed to me. Maybe a story you didn't know. No, I didn't. Wow. Uh, was your wedding song Karina Barat? You know, like that's that's our song every year on the anniversary of that event, which was July tenth, nineteen seventy one. Um, on my Facebook page, I put up um, the music for Carmina Barana, and it says Carmina Barana for my um, on my Facebook page, and and mention that, and yeah, that's our song. We did not dance to it at our wedding. <laughs> Um, we dance to it on our wedding night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously I'm obsessed with story and you know, your father told these amazing stories. Do you think that being a good storyteller is a skill that can be developed or are you kind of just born with it? Uh, a combination, you know, um, when you have people in your life who are good storytellers, that becomes you know, part of your DNA, if you will. But I think that in the same way that from early schooling, where the skills for writing a good essay are taught, you know, having a good um, lead sentence for every paragraph and an arc in every paragraph, and then an overriding arc in the entire essay um, is a is skill that is consciously and carefully taught. I think that can be, um, um, applied to storytelling. I think that you know, there'll be a range of, as there is with essay writing, there'll be a range of success with it. But it's something you can work on and get better and practice and all of that. Right, right. Now, being a person of faith, uh, one of the th things I, I find interesting is I'm kind of a a scientific believer, but I also think there's things you can't explain. So do you think it's easy for someone to believe in both science and in faith? Einstein did. He said, and I, I'm going to read this. He said, um, uh, he summarizes the coexistence of science and faith belief by writing that science without religion is lame religion without science is blind. But I would go on to share my own thoughts about it. Um, I think they coexist. I think that um, a good example is the story of creation as it's told in the Bible follows the same trajectory as the understanding of evolution. The order in which things are created by God, as told in the Bible, is the same, as I said, the same trajectory of evolution. Um, the waters, the, 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 the uh, fish in the sea, the swarming things, you know, the creatures on the earth, uh, first the plants rather, fish in the sea, and, and so on to the ultimate um, creation of, of us. Um, I also think that that religion doesn't have 
answers. I don't believe religion provides answers to the ultimate questions of purpose and life and death and so on. It gives us a framework from which to ask the questions. And I, I think science is, is, is seeking the same kinds of answers through a different path. I, there was a book that I was referred to years and years ago that was written by a rabbi. It was something called along the lines of why bad things happen to good people. And I'm curious as, as a rabbi, how, especially in this current environment, how you counsel people or, or talk to people about how horrible things can be happening and that you shouldn't lose faith. So he wrote that book because of a disease that his son had. Uh, um, his name is not coming to me and, and I feel a little badly about that. But um, his conclusion is that bad things that happen to all of us are not, there's not a system in, in Jewish thought, there's not a system of reward and punishment. Um, and that his conclusion was that bad things happen randomly. Um, I personally have had lots of bad things happen in my life. Um, my mother died when she was 58. My father was 72. My sister, your mother died when she was 34 of breast cancer. My son uh, spent two years in chemo for leukemia when she, he was 16 and 17. I myself had breast cancer, um, two heart attacks. <laughs> so lots of bad things happen. And my, my husband um, just died um, in April after 48 years of marriage. So um, I, I, and I, I take a very existential approach to that to, 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 to the so-called bad things happening uh, personally, globally, um, with the pandemic, you know, throughout history with wars and, and genocide and racial uh, cleansing and, 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 you know, very personal, very global to all, all the way global. And um, bad things are gonna happen. That's a fact of life and always has been. What religion it can provide is how to deal with those bad things. How to, how we have choices. In Deuteronomy, we read every um, Yom Kippur morning, um, I set before you life and death, good and evil, choose life. So life and death, are going to happen, good and evil are going to happen, but it's what we choose to do with it that makes the difference in being able to count the blessings in our lives as we embrace the grief that will happen. Harold Kushner is the author. Thank you. I, was, I wanted to look it up, but I could. <laughs> yes, I feel so much better. <laughs> um, along those lines, so lots of good and bad happens. And, and I think that I like that framework that, you know, religion doesn't answer those questions, but gives you a choice of how to react to those things. Um, 
lots of different people therefore will define success and failure very differently. How would, how would you define success? Whatever field you're in, whatever is happening in, in your life, I think success is about um, meaningful relationships with people. Um, and, and out of meaning, meaningful relations, things may not go the way you expect them to or wish they would, or um, you know, a path may take you on the road less traveled. Um, but, but through meaningful relationships and integrating them into who you are and allow other people to have an impact on your life. Um, I, I think that's, that's a, a means to success. Success being um, a sense of satisfaction, gratitude, um, um, feeling the blessings in your life, even if, even as there are things over which to grieve. It was, something you just said that struck me was about allowing people to have an impact on your life, as opposed to the conventional way of how you can have an impact on someone else, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and therefore, uh, leads me to kind of my next question about what, what inspires you? Um, a standard of excellence. Um, people sometimes think I'm a perfectionist, um, <laughs> which has negative overtones. And, and, and I, um, like, I believe in striving for excellence is, is, is really, to me, the goal. Um, and, and deep thinkers inspire me. Um, uh, through complexities and 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 um, an analytical approach inspires me. Um, um, creativity. People people who are creative and 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 show a level a level of excellence genius um, um, inspire me. Yeah. It's interesting to hear from a religious person talking about analytical. Um, perspective, which I think is shows kind of that no one is one dimensional. And I think sometimes we have a, 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 a want to put people in their little box and say, oh, if you're this, you're that. And that's, I think the, the answer is creative. For me, creativity is the one thing that kind of releases you from that box. Um, so you've had a, an amazing career. Uh, if you were to go back and give some advice to your 21-year-old self, what would it be? So it's really interesting. When I think of myself as 21, 1969, um, I turned 21 in 1969. Um, I had just graduated from college. I lived through high school and college in the 60s. 
graduated from high school 65, college 69. So I was a child of the 60s, but I missed the whole thing that people think of the 60s because I was a choir geek and, and I did not um, listen to the music of the day and have been introduced to that music because it's been, it's lasted because it was genius. And I've been introduced to it by my sons and by the current tenor of the day, which um, values the, 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 those things that lasted from that time. So if I were to um, talk to my 21 year old self, I would, I would advise myself to listen and hear the complexities of the music that was, it was such a spurt of creativity in the music world, uh, in the popular, so-called popular music world that has as lasting effect as the classics. Um, and, and thank God it, it's being heard today and valued today. Um, I first encountered how brilliant it was when my uh, sons were playing, what's the game with the guitar, guitar, the, the video guitar guitar hero and when I watched them play it and saw the guitar riffs that they were um, had to follow I, I couldn't believe how am amazing that was <laughs> brilliant and I missed it all and I regret that my kids are actually very angry at me that I missed the 60s <laughs> Well, you can make up for it. And I think you've done more than make up for it in your life. Done uh, my best. <laughs> uh, so what do you, you know, religion's been around for a while. Judaism's, you know, got good, good history. Um, but things are obviously changing in education, especially in our environment. What do you think is going to be the next sort of trend in how religion is taught? If, it, if it's going to change? I think, I believe that we are and have been for the last 20 years, 15 to 20 years, in as epic a time with a synagogue life and church life as well, but I can speak best to synagogue life, as we were in Jewish history at the time of the destruction of the second temple, when in order for Judaism to last, we had to figure out a way when the second temple was destroyed and we were dispersed. We had to leave uh, uh, Jerusalem and we had to figure out a way and it, it evolved over time. It wasn't a, a, a quick fix to, um, to change Judaism from a centralized um, religion where everything happened at, in the temple in Jerusalem to allow for um, um, authenticity outside of that centralized place. And that was how uh, individual temples, synagogues were created over a few generations. It didn't just happen. And, and the um, sacrifice cult became prayers replaced the animal sacrifices. That was epic. And I believe we're in as epic a time now with people choosing not to affiliate. When I was growing up and my parents moved, the first thing they did was look for a temple to belong to. It was unthinkable not to belong to a temple. And that's where our 
center of, 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 of social life was for them as adults, for us as kids. Um, and that's just not true anymore. Um, and people are making conscious decisions not to affiliate and synagogues are closing, merging, um, shrinking. And, and people have been addressing this change um, for the last 20 plus years with um, efforts like Synagogue 2000 and, 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 and the development of new music and, and, um, and let's make it more accessible and it's not working. The synagogue as we know it and the educational system in the synagogue as we know it is simply not working. Um, people all of a sudden go, oh my God, we have to have a bar mitzvah because grandpa needs us to have a bar mitzvah and let's get our son or daughter bar mitzvahed. <laughs> Um, and, but that's, it's not as meaningful it was, as, as it was for people who grew up learning and the bar mitzvah was a, was, a, was a moment in a whole trajectory of Jewish life and practice. So I think something amazing has happened because of COVID. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible time in our lives. However, the whole Zoom thing, having services and gatherings and funerals and weddings and Shabbat services and Havdalah services and all of it on Zoom has organically changed the face of the synagogue. The synagogue has become by default, by need, by yearning, virtual. And, and so, for example, when Harold died, we had a memorial service for him and there were over 300 people zoomed in from all over the world, from Israel and France and England and, and, and California and, and, and almost every state across the US. Um, were able to be with us. And not only with, with us, but unlike, I mean, picture a synagogue sanctuary that's that frontal picture. Um, nobody sees each other. And I, I on the Bima kind of see you all in a distance on Zoom or a virtual uh, medium. Um, we see each other's faces like we are right now up close and, and interact with each other and write stuff in the, in the, in the chat room um, while the service is going on. I know um, some synagogues will ask people to name um, people for, for Kaddish um, by just writing them in the chat. So I, I think that, that organically something epic is, was needed and is happening. Thankfully, in some ways. In uh, some ways. Yeah. Um, okay, we're now at that stage where I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. And um, sometimes they're not as rapid as I might want them. So I, I understand. I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So is it better to be a planner or a doer? You had to pick that and I have to have to. Um, 
I guess a, my inclination is to say doer because there's stuff going on in the brain while you're doing it. Whereas a planner might never get there. It's the kind of thing that um, I'm gonna, uh, somebody once taught me um, the word try is not a good word to use. I'm, I'm gonna try to study this week or I'm gonna try to uh, practice or I'm gonna try to read a book a week or all the time you're trying, you're not doing it. So, but while you're doing it, there's planning going on. So I guess doer. Good stories always have happy endings. Should they? No, because that's not real life. Um, I can say that whenever I watch uh, West Side Story, every time, which I'm always drawn into if I'm channel surfing, um, I always wish it would come out differently. Don't drink the medicine. She lied. But it, but you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it the, 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 it's those unanswered questions that I spoke about before in relationship to religion, the ultimate questions. And if it's good literature or, or good, um, it, it's going to raise more questions than, than answer. Do you have a favorite uh, emoji? Um, <laughs> um, I love my memoji. <laughs> which which has you know any number of different expressions, but um, it was so much fun creating it and um, the technology of it um, that you could create each different you know. So I think the memoji is just hilarious fun. Now, as a singer, this is a, maybe a tough question. If you had to sing a song for karaoke, what song would you pick? It is a very tough song for a singer because I never do karaoke because I'm not sure it's going to be in the right key and won't show off my voice. So I, 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 that's that's my answer. Do you have a favorite song to sing? I'll ask it a slightly different way. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't. If anyone talks to me, anyone who spends any time with me knows that in any given conversation, I will pop into a song. You know, every word brings a song to me. And I and I read somebody wrote, and I relate to it. If if every time you say something, it makes me sing a song, we can't be friends anymore. But no, I don't have a favorite song. There's just too many. Uh, do you have a favorite social media platform? I would have to say um, Facebook because it's the only one I use. Can you name a book that left a lasting impression on you? Um, I would have to name two books. If I, um, one is The Book Thief uh, by Marcus Zuzak. So good. Uh, um, I loved it because, first of all, because it was narrated by death. Mm. And, um, and, and, Death was, you know, felt death felt badly <laughs> in, in, in this portrayal of it. Um, I'm gonna name the other one and then I'm gonna come back to this. The other one is um, The Magic Strings of Frankie Presto. Do you know that book? Mm -mm. It's about, it's a fictional character um, set in real time, similar to um, Forrest Gump, where Frankie Presto was a, 
genius guitar player. Um, and his name was Presto because he played faster than anyone ever. And, um, and he um, interacted with the top musicians from the 50s through the current time when the book was written, similar to way, the way Forrest Trump um, interacted with real life happenings. And um, the very first story is about um, him playing backup guitar for a Elvis Presley show because the, the um, guitar player something happened and that it was a secret he kept to his death. Um, oh, and this book is narrated by music. So I love, that's one reason I love both of those books. One narrated by, narrated by death, the other narrated by music. And it's the author's idea of truth. And I, I just love that. Um, the book Thief I love because it's a Holocaust story um, with, a, it's a historic fiction, historical fiction um, that was not seen through the eyes of a Jewish person at all, but a young non-Jewish girl. And, and, and it, it just beautifully, beautifully told, beautifully written. And um, Frankie, Frankie Presto, again, beautifully written. I remember reading and reading certain phrases and thinking, wow, like books have been around for a while and you've just done something I don't recall seeing and just some of the phraseology of it all was just remarkable. Uh, I, me I remember distinctly having that feeling of that is really well written, <laughs> you know, in a, in a, in a profound way uh, in just use, the use of language. Right, right. The use of language is another reason those, yeah, yeah. So lyrical and the turn of a phrase and through the eyes of death. I mean. Mm -hmm. I got another hard one for you. Can you name a favorite movie? Um, I would say Arrival. It's a recent movie. I don't normally um, jump to science fiction. It's not my genre. But what I loved about it was the, the humanity of it. But most importantly, I loved that time wasn't linear, isn't linear. That, um, um, what's it called when you, when you give away the story of a movie and I don't mean to do that for anybody. A spoiler. Yeah, um, if you don't wanna listen, don't listen. But um, the whole movie, you think you're watching flashbacks. And at the very end, you realize that all time is happening at the same time. And I just found that so incredibly powerful. What's the one thing you can't live without? My family. Now, up until a little while ago, I think one of the answers that would have been a little less serious would have been Diet Coke. 100%, that was my first thing to say, which I gave up in April, um, cold turkey. And I, I, I drank more than a six pack a day. Yeah, yeah. And I still miss it. But, it but I am. Help you get through it. That's my question. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm living without it. My family helped me get through it. <laughs> if you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? I would love, and I know people are on it and maybe it's already out there. 
a way to um, do live music virtually without the um, without the delay, so that we can have choirs and orchestras and and um, you know and and the why is because it's 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 a huge loss to us right now huge it's huge the loss of choirs is is so far reaching um and theater and it, it could be done virtually if if there wasn't the time lag i'm sure someone's working on it for lots of reasons uh and i and the times i've seen they've they've cheated and made you know it's probably pre-recorded but I've seen some choral stuff done and, and it when it's done well, it's brilliant. Brilliant stuff. I've been part of choirs, virtual choirs, where you all by yourself record your part and you have you have um, a, a thing in your you're hearing in your ear the accompaniment. So everybody who records it records it at the same speed exactly with the same um, uh, spacing and timing and all. Um, but that's not the same as as the as as all that. Uh, communal music, whether it be theater, instrumental, vocal, um, is is so much more than just the music. And and for for non um, accomplished singers or performers, doing it all alone at home is very scary. And um, not not it, it's it's very scary. Um, yeah. So we we need. That's that I'm, I I do not have the technical ability to invent it, but I'm sure somebody is working on it. Somebody's. Yeah, I think it goes to a fundamental point about the current virtual existence, which is as great as technology is and able to bring people all over the world together, and which is amazing. It's not a replacement for in-person community in whatever form that may take. Which brings me back to my thought about uh, synagogues that that can't replace community. If you ask anyone what what's the most important thing for you, those who do affiliate about belonging to a synagogue, one word always, always, always is community. Well, I want to thank you for sharing with this community of listeners, uh, and want to give you a chance. If there's anything else you wanted to share. Um, in particular, I, I always want to at least offer that if there's something you are dying to get off your chest or some wonderful thing uh, you wanted to, to share with my audience. Just that I'm so proud to be your aunt. Oh. That's... And, and, and the work you're doing is really wonderful about communication and storytelling and, and, um, and this was, this was great. This was just a great opportunity to have a wonderful conversation with you. Uh, I feel the same and, and to hear even, and to learn some things, which is always uh, about your family that you didn't know. So I, I appreciate those tidbits of, whether it be my grandfather, the trumpet player, or when Harold proposed to you, those are things I wasn't aware of, um, but that's that's remarkable. Um, so Vicki, thank you so much for sharing in the way you always do with an open heart and a thoughtful mind. Uh, and I really just want to thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform 
so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.